G'day, mates. How are you? How are you, Bruces and Sheilas out there? Doing okay? I think uh, I think VBS has permanently warped me. Um, for, seriously, for those of you that, that, that did not have a chance to, to get over there and see that happening in action, VBS was amazing this year. It really was amazing. They do such good work, and they put so much into it. And uh, so many of the kids were just, just, just right there, every step of the way, just hanging on every word. It was, it was really cool to see. Um, my name is Matthew Robertson. I am the associate pastor here at LifePoint Community Church, for, for those of you that don't know. And uh, if you came here this morning hoping to, uh, hoping to see or hear Dwayne, um, you need to come back next week, because he will be back next week. I promise. We are so blessed in this country. We, we, we have so much. Uh, it is almost impossible to put into words just, just, just how God has blessed this nation. But, but, but this nation is starting to fall on kind of some hard times. Here, real question. Here, um, lately in particular. So let me ask you a question. Are we living in the end times? Are we living in the end times? In Matthew 24, Jesus warns his disciples. He said, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear, um, hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Any of that sound familiar? Does <laughs> that sound like anything that's going on in the world today? The stock market almost crashed earlier this year from the rumor that Russia was going to invade Ukraine. And then it finally decided to wait a decent interval before finally crashing a few weeks later. Anybody check their 401k lately? See, while we in the U.S. have not reached famine stages, food items are becoming scarce in some areas. Anybody try to find chicken? Chicken! This is Georgia. People have chicken in their backyards. Believe me, I know. And heaven help you if you need baby formula. That is really getting to be a problem. Every generation since Jesus returned to heaven has been convinced that they are living in the end times. I'll let you in on a little secret. They were all correct. They were all absolutely right. Any time in between Christ's resurrection and the time he actually returns is the end times. So you are living in the end times. So, <clears throat> when is Jesus going to come back? You're not going to like this answer. <laughs> You're not going to like it at all. Nobody knows. See, Matthew 24, 36 tells us about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the, the angels in heaven, nor the Son or the Father, only the Father. See, here's where it gets kind of weird. Not even Jesus knows when he's coming back. Only God the Father knows, and Jesus is totally willing to wait on God's perfect timing to tell him when to return. See, the only thing that we can be sure of is that he is 
going to return. So, so how then should we live? Well, Jesus told a parable concerning uh, uh, contrasting the good and the wicked servant. Uh, however, we're going to start with the wicked servant first. We go to Matthew 24, verses uh, 48 through uh, 51. Most of the, my material this morning is coming from Matthew 24. I highly recommend you to go there. It's a great place to hang out for the rest of the morning. So this is Matthew 24, verses 48 through 51, and it says, But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So thinking that his master was going to be away for a long time, the wicked servant took advantage of the situation for his own benefit. And he started to beat his fellow servants and lorded over them with his authority as their, their overseer. And, and the extent of... Um, <clears throat> the extent of the evil slave's insolence didn't end with the, the, his ill treatment of his, his fellow workers. Jesus said he'd also began to eat and drink with the drunkards. So the evil servant whiled away his hours overeating and getting drunk with his buddies. He completely ignored the work that he was supposed to be doing and the workers that he was supposed to be supervising as long as he thought that the boss was not coming back anytime soon, he was going to take it easy and enjoy life. So the evil servant was both cruel and out of control. In his mind, there was plenty of time to make things right before the master came home. Didn't work out that way. So what about the good servant? What about the good servant? Again, Matthew 24, verses 45 through 47. Who then is the faithful and wise servant who the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. My Bible school students, what does it mean when we say, truly, I tell you? It means pay attention means write it down. What comes afterward is important. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. See, in this parable, the master apparently was going to be away for a long, long time, and he expected his, his, his chief servant to operate the home well, to operate it well and to secure adequate provisions for the other, for the other servants, for the material needs of the other slaves. And those slaves depended on the head servant to treat them well, and especially to distribute food for them and for their families at the appropriate times. So what Jesus said was, if the master arrives unannounced and sees that the chief servant is doing a good job, the master is going to give the servant even greater responsibility and more privileges. In this case, he says, literally, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. The servant's positive accomplishments demonstrated to the master that because he was competent and trustworthy in the lesser things, he could now be relied upon in the greater things. 
This principle makes sense as any business owner knows. Jesus applied it to a Christian spiritual condition as well. Those who are faithfully doing the will of God will be given greater rewards and more responsibilities. Luke 12, 48 tells us, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And for the one who has been entrusted with much, more will be asked. In other words, you show yourself faithful in the little things. God's going to reward you with even bigger things and more responsibilities. So how do we act as good servants? And what did the, what did the good servant in Jesus' parable do that was different from what the wicked servant did? He kept doing the things he knew he was supposed to be doing even though the master was away. So I know I've told this story before, but it, it really bears repeating. In uh, 1996, <clears throat> I was actually working for the Olympics, for the Atlanta Committee for the Olympic Games. And it was a, it was a fascinating experience. Um, but unlike other jobs, when, when, when the Olympics were over, you were out of a job. Well, you didn't get a promotion or get transferred to a different location. There was no other location. Not for, it wouldn't be for another four years. So there was no place to go. So we knew that this time was coming. And uh, we saved as much money as we could. And, and, and sure enough, um, the Olympics were over. And it was time to pound the pavement, looking for work. And starting months ahead of time, I'd started sending out resumes, and now I was searching the want ads and <clears throat> using, I'm going to date myself here, using monster.com. Does anybody remember monster? Yeah, using monster.com and uh, networking wherever I could, uh, taking odd jobs to, to bring in at least a little money here and there. I think somewhere along the line, I actually did dig a ditch. I'm almost positive that I actually did. Meanwhile, we kept praying. We kept seeking God's timing. We stayed active in the church. Cindy was working with the kids and I was head usher at the time. Weeks and months went by and we just kept doing the things that God was calling us to do. It was almost exactly a year after the Olympics that I, that, that I actually got a job. And we slowly watched our bank account dwindle down to almost nothing in all that time. We never went hungry. We had some odd meals, but we never went hungry. We never missed a house payment. And whenever something needed repair, we always seemed to have just enough money in the account to cover it. So I grew so much spiritually during that year. When you have nothing but God to depend on, you're going to find out that God's enough. And he's really all you need. Keep doing the things you know you're supposed to be doing. So what are some of the things that we as Christians should be doing? This past Sunday, our growth group session, growth groups, <coughs> Sunday school, had a, a little handout to go along with the lesson. Um, and it's actually printed inside your bulletin in there. It's called the spiritual checklist. And you were supposed to number them from based from one to 10. 
based on the order of their importance. And it just seemed a little misguided to me. I, I looked at it and I actually filled out number one, be sure of salvation, because it just seemed to me like if you weren't sure of that, none of the rest of it was going to make a bit of difference as to how well you, you know, how you did it. So and if you truly look at it too, I mean, how do you, how do you treat, I mean, is study the scripture more important on a scale of one to 10 than supporting the church financially or worship corporately or something like that? How do you measure it in terms of importance? But I really like this list. I really like this list a lot. So, so I thought, what if instead of rating them in order of importance, why don't you rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 as to how well you're practicing each one of these things? The things that we need to keep on doing waiting for Christ to return. Say, so now that number one in Be Sure of Salvation becomes a 10. It becomes a 10. Go ahead and do that for a second. Look it over, look it over on the list. Just, just look it over really quickly. I want to do a, a knee-jerk kind of poll here. Hopefully the emphasis isn't on the word jerk. All right, let me ask you a question. You, you, you raise your hand on this. Anybody have a 10 besides number one? Does anybody have another 10 on the list anywhere? Nobody? Nobody has a number 10? On the list? Nobody's, oh, come on. Worship corporately. I got one. John's got one back there. All right, John, John. Come on. Worship corporately. You're here. Give yourself a break. Put a 10 down there, okay? Come on, you got two. Okay, don't raise your hand for the rest of these. Does anybody have any fives? And how about threes? Twos? Ones? See, that's just as awesome as having tens. Do you know why? Because it's not zero. Because it's not zero. It just means that you have something to work on. I guarantee you that each and every one of us, whether you're a brand new Christian or whether you've been in the church for 40 years, needs to work on more than one of these issues. Having goals as a Christian, it's, 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 striving for excellence, if you don't keep moving forward, you're, you're, you're not going deeper, you're not growing in your Christian walk, you're stagnating. Don't let yourself become complacent. Keep this list. Look at it every once in a while and see if there's anything on there that you need to maybe work on. So what are some of the other things that we need to be doing? Since we are living in the end times, one of the most important things we need to be doing is witnessing or, or, or testifying about the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. See, when Jesus was telling his disciples about his return, he emphasized that it would happen quickly, and he imparted a sense of urgency to them. Matthew 24, verses 15 and 16. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to take their cloak. Why the sense of urgency? Why the hurry? 
Because once Jesus returns, there's no more hope for repentance or salvation. That's it. It's game over. Everybody out of the pool. See, it's one of the great weaknesses of mankind that, that we think that we've got all the time in the world. The wicked servant thought he had to have time to get things, everything in order before his master returned. It was not so. The Bible says that no one can know the day or hour of Jesus' return. So now look at Jesus' words in Matthew 24, 37 through 39. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. People were just going about their business. They were going about their ordinary, everyday lives. They were raising families, working in the fields, eating, drinking, marrying, thinking they had all the time in the world until the rain started coming down. And then it was too late. See, that's one of the reasons why witnessing and spreading the news of the gospel is, is so important, and it should be important to us because it's important to God. We said many times from the pulpit that Christianity is the only religion where the Creator provided a bridge so that we can spend eternity with Him. See, He sent Jesus, His only Son, to die on a cross so that our sins would be canceled out once and for all time. The debt was paid all at once. See, salvation is a gift. It's given freely and it's available to everybody, not just the Jews or the Gentiles, but the Muslims and the Hindus and the atheists and the agnostics. All they have to do is hear the truth and accept Jesus as their savior. That's all they have to do. Why would God do this? Why would God do this? Because he loves his creation so much that he doesn't want to see anybody left out. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's why witnessing is so important and, and why we make such a big deal out of it. But in, in, in our humanness, we make it so hard. What if I say the wrong thing? You know, what if they ask me a question I can't answer? Witnessing is all about your, your testimony of what Jesus has done for you and how, you, how your life has changed, how you become a better person because of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Honestly, it's not so much the words you say. It's the things you do. See, when I was unemployed with the Olympics, we didn't find out until much later how many people were watching us to see how we handled a difficult situation. 
I had so many people come up to me afterwards and say, you never seem to worry or get depressed. How can I get depressed? I mean, God was meeting every one of our needs on a daily basis, and I have a really great testimony about the importance of being faithful to God because he's always been faithful to us. We knew that as long as we kept doing the things that God wanted us to do, we were sitting right in the palm of his hand. Right in the palm of his hand. And he would not let us fall. Let me put it in simpler terms. Actions speak louder than words. How many of you know that the Bible is a book of action? It's a book of action. If you study the Bible and and don't incorporate any of it into your actions, then it's just knowledge for the sake of knowledge. It's nice, but it really doesn't do anybody any good. But if you share your knowledge through your words and through your actions, you can actually make a difference in someone's eternity. Faith without works is what? Dead. So how, how do we do that? How do, how do we share our faith to a broken and, and hurting world? And I, I think the answer can be summed up in a, in a single verse. Love your neighbor as yourself. So a Pharisee once tried to test Jesus by asking him what the greatest commandment was, and Jesus' reply was simple, yet it was, it was possibly the summation of the entire Bible. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. That was Matthew 22, 36 through 40, by the way. Then the Pharisee asked, he said, who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus then tells a story of a man who was attacked by robbers on the road to Jericho. And he was stripped of his clothes, he was beaten and left for dead. And soon after, uh, a priest was passing by on the same road and he saw the man. He went to the other side of the road and continued on his way. And then a Levite passed by, but he too moved to the other side of the road and when he saw the man. But a Samaritan came by, and when he saw the man, he took pity on him. He poured oil and wine on his wounds and carried him on his donkey and brought him to an inn, and he took care of him there. And the following day, he gave the innkeeper two denarii and asked him to look after the man, adding that when he returns, he would compensate the innkeeper for any extra expense that he may have incurred. And after telling the story, Jesus asked the Pharisee which he thought among the three was a neighbor to the man who was robbed, to which the Pharisee replied, the man who showed mercy. Jesus said, go thou and do likewise. See, the Pharisee was asking the wrong question, as usual with Pharisees. It's not about asking who our neighbor is. Rather, it's about us being that good neighbor. See, it starts with us. It starts with us. How important is being a good neighbor? Showing love for your neighbors? Galatians 5 and 14 says, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Think about that for one second. The entire law 
law of Moses fulfilled by keeping one command. See, particularly in America, we have this tendency to think in geographic terms. We tend to think of boundaries. Our neighbors are people who live next door or on our block. And it's been made worse <clears throat> by the rise of social media. See, we form groups of friends who, who share our values and agree with our ideas. So oftentimes we tend to start thinking that our neighbor is anybody who thinks the same way that we do. And that's just not true. The Samaritan helped a man who was a total stranger. A total stranger. A man from whom he had absolutely nothing to gain. He just saw a man who needed help. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2 tells us, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Just as salvation is open to everybody, so anyone who needs help is my neighbor. The question is, am I going to be a good neighbor to them? See, your neighbor is, is not just the people who share your, your values. It's, it's the guy who borrowed your lawnmower and returned it with a bent blade. It's, it, it's the people who voted for the other guy in the last election. It's a couple down the street with three kids, and you know they aren't married. It's the homeless guy you pass on the street who hasn't eaten in three days. It's the homosexual couple on the next block who are about to lose their house because they can't afford the house payments. It's a broken world. It's a broken world that needs someone to share the gospel of Christ by being a good neighbor. It's a broken world and it's about to get worse. It's about to get so much worse. 64% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck they're barely able to make ends meet if they can actually make them meet. Because of all the money pumped into the economy during the COVID outbreak, inflation is at its highest point in 40 years. The Fed bumped up interest rates in order to curb inflation and now people can't afford loans to buy houses or cars. And businesses are laying off people because they can't afford to both keep their employees and keep their doors open. They can't afford it. The stock market tanked. Many people saw their retirement money just disappear. Gas is over $7 a gallon in California, and there's no relief in sight. Average rent has gone from $1,200 to $1,800 a month, and it's still going up because of the rise in interest rates. Groceries have gone up over 10%. Some people are having to feed their children by going hungry themselves. And I don't think any of these trends are going to go away anytime soon. There's a world of hurt out there right now. Be the good neighbor. Be the one willing to lend a hand. Be the one willing to make the first move.
Philippians 2.3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. See, the wicked servant acted selfishly. The good servant thought of the others first. And John 13.34 says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Loving one another is pretty high on God's priority list. Okay, so how do we how do we incorporate this into our lives? How do we how do we put this into action? Well, somewhat slightly embarrassing confession time. Um, not any of us who, who who have ever stood on the platform have even once claimed to be perfect, uh, at least not with a straight face. And most of you know I used to drink Coca Cola. I used to drink a lot of Coca-Cola. I, I used to jokingly refer to it as my $2 a day Coke habit and then my $4 a day Coke habit. When we fasted in January, I decided that, that, that I didn't just want to fast, I wanted to make a permanent change. So I stopped drinking Coke because the chemicals in it are just so bad. For, oh, God, I hope that's not legally actionable. Um, because the chemicals in it are just so bad for you. So on January 1st, I stopped drinking Coke. Now, it hasn't been perfect. I have backslid from time to time. I will testify. But I can count on one hand the number of Cokes I've had in the last six months. That's pretty good. See, now it's time to take another step. I don't drink coffee, and, and I was worried about the lack of caffeine. Uh, you know, when you, all of a sudden you cut yourself off from caffeine, you get headaches, you get all kinds of problems with it, and I was really worried about that. And I thought that I would, I, I thought that I would switch over to iced tea and still have my caffeine and not be having the nasty chemicals. Turns out the same nasty chemicals are in the brisk iced tea. The original plan was to phase it out over time and continue drinking and start drinking more water, which I have been doing. I've been drinking lots of water at work. I work in a warehouse. Our motto is, is hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. Um, so now it's time to take another step. I don't drink coffee. was worried about quitting caffeine, so I switched to iced tea. Now it's time to let that go. It's time to let that go and start drinking mostly water. See, I estimate that I spend about $20 a week feeding my habit. Judge me later, just let me get through this. Now I'm going to take that $20 a week and turn it into gas cards and, and Walmart cards, which I'm going to carry around with me. And whenever I see someone who needs a little help, I'm going to give them one or both of those cards. See, you're probably saying to yourself, well, how much good is $20 going to do? Tell that to someone who can't feed their babies. Someone who can't afford their rent. Someone who needs just a few gallons of gas to make it to their next paycheck. See, I'm, I'm no longer satisfied with, with just acknowledging the problem with, with playing the blame game. I want to be part of the solution, and yes, it's a small step. A very small step, but great things have begun with small steps. This church, LifePoint Community Church, started with four people meeting in the living room. Look at us now, we're up to 120 members and still growing. 
So you don't tell me that the problems are too big. Our God is bigger than anything this world can throw at us. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, unto him be the glory in the church in Jesus Christ, unto all generations forever and ever. Exceedingly abundantly. Don't tell me that God can't handle these problems. But he may be waiting for one of us to start. He may be waiting. Don't tell me that there's nothing that you can do to help out. See, our God is the God of opportunity. It says, um, Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And then again in Ephesians 5 and 16, it says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Yes, they are. Making the most of every opportunity. Opportunity to do what? To witness to others by showing what the love of God has done in your life. By showing love and kindness to someone who just needs a helping hand. Your actions are going to speak louder than a hundred sermons. And your testimony is going to ring loud and clear. One final thing. None of us would choose to be an enabler. I wouldn't think. When I worked for the 96 Olympics, I spent a lot of time uh, working in downtown Atlanta. And I had to spend a lot of time dealing with panhandlers. Uh, it was rare in those days to, to see them in the suburbs of Gwinnett. Now they, they seem to be everywhere. They seem to be everywhere. Sometimes I would give them money. And every time I did, I, I felt these nagging questions afterwards. How do I know I didn't just waste $20? How do I know they're not just going to spend it on, on booze or drugs or whatever? Here's the conclusion I finally came to. It doesn't matter. If I felt led to give the money, it's not my responsibility what they did with it. It's kind of like salvation. See, God gives us the free will to make choices. He gives us the opportunity to accept, but we always have the choice to reject the gift that he offers. I gave them the opportunity to use that money for good or bad purposes. How they chose to use it was their choice. I didn't have anything to do with it. So don't be afraid to give thinking that you're enabling someone else. That's not your choice and that's not your fault. Listen, one final thing. The Samaritan had absolutely nothing to gain by helping the wounded man. He just he wasn't going to get a job offer and he wasn't going to get his picture in the local newspaper. He just saw a need and couldn't just pass without doing something about it. That's what I mean when I say love your neighbor. Be the first one to reach out. 
What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? That, ladies and gentlemen, is all that I have for you this morning. Would you bow your heads in prayer? Heavenly Father, we just love you. We praise you. We thank you for this time together. And Lord, we just pray that, uh, that you would enable us to take these teachings this morning and incorporate them into our lives. And Lord, help us to reach out to someone else, even today, Lord. Help us to be the good neighbor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, y'all have a blessed week. Y'all take care, and Dwayne and Donna will be back next weekend. Thank you. Right, and don't forget to stop by the gift shop. Pick up some Vegemite on your way out. Yeah, we'll see you later.